We are off to a great start football season. We got my man, Scott Van Pelt, who not only a close friend, but we know six plus years on the radio side together. We're going to go abroad midweek with Kevin Clark, Monza, a McLaren weekend, and life advice. So enjoy. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Cintas. In sports, you're always thinking of the next play. It's the same with business. Cintas has the products, people, and solutions that help you keep a step ahead. And your Cintas MVPs are dedicated service reps who help ensure your team has what you need when you need it. They deliver freshly laundered workwear every week, provide restroom supplies, stock first aid, and safety products. Plus, they'll help test and inspect your fire protection equipment. Visit Cintas.com and get ready for the workday. You may have seen him on Better Days with Mike Greenberg. It is Scott Van Pelt who joins us, also the host of Sports Center. How's it going? Right out of the gate. Just, just <laughs> right out of the gate. Uh, we're good, man. Right? We're good. How about you? I'm good. I, I don't know where this is going to go today. I think it's going to go all over the place. Good. You know what I want to start with is, is the unfortunate passing of Norm MacDonald. Um, I, this doesn't happen very often, but to have almost everybody on social media rowing in the same direction with his brilliance and finding something that he did that they liked. And look, I don't care what the topic is. Eventually there's always a zag and look, Norm wasn't afraid to probably do some stuff that wouldn't be as well received today, but I was, look, we got to meet him once. I think you probably met him more than I did. We, We had him in studio one time and he's just that guy, like he cannot be funny and it's the funniest thing ever, which is so hard to do. I'm going to pay you a compliment right out of the gate and say that, that you, and I didn't know, I don't know that I realized it at the time and in this wormhole that I've been in since yesterday, I realized Priscilla had a lot of Norm McDonald in him. And here's what I'm talking about. You commit to a bit and you don't care if, if you're five minutes in and you're like, nope, this, this isn't getting there. You're going to stay with the bit. Like McDonald would do a joke on Conan about a moth or about, you know, a doghouse. And it would just get to the point where maybe it was uncomfortable for somebody else, but he was going to get to the finish line and it would and it would pay off. And I think that I think if you're great, you've got these seminal moments that, that people will point to and say this performance or that performance. I think the beauty of Norm McDonald is. There's probably a laundry list a mile long of what's your favorite bit. I remember a weekend update thing. It was a throwaway line about, hey, Kenny G uh, did a a Christmas album. (laughs) Happy birthday, Jesus. I hope you like crap. (laughs) Like, think about how funny that is. Happy birthday, Jesus. I hope you like crap. (laughs) And it's a a 10-second throwaway line in a weekend update thing. But I think the, the, the brilliance of the guy and, and how, un, how just the whole delivery, like, so I says to her, I says, like, just that, like, I, I, his, his cadence and his, his comfort in what was uncomfortable uh, and just a complete 
genius of a guy was, uh, I mean, I don't know. We've talked in years ago about like the Hedberg, like that. I, I think they were different, but I think Hedberg had this uncomfortable way about him. But you think about what he said later and you go, God, that was really fucking brilliant. And I feel like McDonald did that over and over and over. And when you see the, when you see the, the, the width of the comic community from all the different flavors, right. All just say that guy was a genius. You know, that guy was, he was unique. Um, I don't know, man. And it sucks. Like he's been battling this thing privately, I guess, for, for 10 years. And, and you just wake up one day and he's gone. I don't know. I mean, I, it's, it, I don't know. I just, I, anytime you lose the, the world loses somebody that's like that, you just go, well, that sucks. You know? Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I go, you know, I'm with you. I mean, it goes without saying, and you're like, Oh wow. You know? And I remember when we had him in studio and you know, he was excited about the golf thing. And then he'd even he even said to me, it was actually kind of funny and it made you feel good for a second. I don't know how we ended up on something. I think we asked him about his show because remember they tried to do like forever. Everybody's been pitching. Hey, I want to do the daily show of sports and I want to do it. And he got a shot to do it and it kind of didn't work out. And we talked about it off the air, I think. And then he's like, yeah, the show wasn't very good. Like he just started to go, yeah, it wasn't very good. And then I had said, you know, I'm surprised somebody hasn't tried this or whatever. And it wasn't even that great of an idea. And he just goes, hey, I like that. Ah. Uh, I'm probably going to steal that. <laughs> and, and honestly, you're flattered if you're like, wait, do you actually like this or, or are you just fucking with me? And there's probably more of, of the latter, but. No, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I guess. But like, you know what he also had to, he had the sincerity about him that like, I, I watched a bunch of things like everybody else yesterday. And the one that I yeah. saw, and there was another comedian, I forget the name because everybody was kind of sharing their stuff with Norm. When he did the Bob Saget roast, and he goes, I'm going to bomb this whole time. Okay. He did. I'm just going to bomb and we're going to see what happens. And I think there's uh, a thing among comedians where it's like, oh, so you're going to be the comedian that's not funny on purpose. Like, okay, like this isn't hard right. enough, but you're out. It's going to be, I'm not even funny. And that's going to be, I think there's like a massive, like push, like the disrespect would be massive. Yet Norm is doing it. And I mean, he's got the one joke about Cloris Leachman, who we lost this year as well. And he's like, Cloris Leachman, they say she's over the hill. She's never going to be over the hill. Not with a car she drives. And, <laughs> and it's in the beginning. And like Stamos yeah. in the beginning is kind of like, what the hell's going on? He's got a one track mind. and There's not much traffic. Yeah. And, you're, yeah. and Stamos is like, am I supposed to be laughing? And it's kind of awkward. It's awkward. And then, you know, Godfrey and the other guys are seeing what he's doing and he's building and every joke sucks so bad. And he's so great yeah. in his delivery. He's reading a card. He's being uncomfortable. And now at the end, all the comedians are fucking losing it. Dying. And people in the crowd, I think, are laughing because they see the comedians laughing. And he's just uh, you want to talk. I, I think it's longer than the seven minute clip that I even saw because it was edited a few times. It was unbelievable to pull that off and then pull it off in the room and have everybody else who's in your industry think you're the funniest guy in the room. That's you know what that is? That's walking into an art gallery and you look at something on the wall and you don't know what it is. But all the other artists go, oh, my God. And then and you go, yeah, well, I, I, yeah, that's that's a, what a what a great painting. You don't even know what you're looking at. But the, all of the other artists, like when he hits him with the Rin Tin Tin line. And then he just like he got disgusted. He's like, "How do you not get that?" Like he he kind of broke character for like a split second. The thing that the thing that that touched me sincerely, he told Letterman he loved him. Yeah. The last thing, the last time he was on with Letterman, and Letterman put out a, a beautiful statement yesterday about how he was just basically the perfect stand-up. Um, 
and, and, and he got to the end and he's like, you know, you don't like the mawkish thing and be like, but it's not, it's not, if it, it's not the mawkish or whatever, if it's true, I, I'm, I'm butchering the way he said it, but he basically was saying in the end, is like, this isn't some ass kissing bit if it's true. And he's like, I love you. And his voice cracked and you realize that, it, that he really did. And Letterman was no good at letting people hug him. You know, I don't, I don't mean like literally, I mean, he was no good at that, but, um, I don't know. I just, I found that moment to be, uh, really sweet and, and, uh, and in a sincere way to see what that venue had meant to, uh, to a comedian like, um, like Norm. I mean, I, I was on Letterman once. It's not a big deal. Uh, you, no, no, you were, what was, uh, <laughs> see what I'm doing? do you, was there any, maybe we could talk about this now. I would like to think during our days, despite my abrasiveness and frustration, um, that I always knew where I stood. Is that fair? Like whatever, whatever my role was on the show, I still knew who you were and who I was. Mm-hmm. All right, you're not, yeah, you're, I mean, you're not agreeing with me as much as I thought you were, but that's okay. You what? That you were some supplicant to me, or that no, you were secondary? That to you me? were Scott, and I was, especially in the beginning. Okay, like that was always the pushback. It's like, wait, what? Scott just picking this guy or whatever? You were always on board. I was, but there was always an element of like I'm pushing and fighting and fighting, but I'm not fighting with my co-host, which could definitely happen in other scenarios. Like I, I no. got the hierarchy of the show, and it's what it should have been. All right, but when you went on Letterman, was there ever anyone that was worried that I thought that I should have been going on Letterman with you because all the other radio shows usually both guys would go on? No, because I didn't think I was supposed to be on. I mean, I, I didn't a, think I was supposed to go it, with you, by the way. So, uh, well, it was it was like Harry Connick, a mariachi band, and me. It was some. It was just, who can we get in here? It's almost Christmas. I, I I didn't go because I was some star. I, Letterman didn't know who the fuck I was. You sure? So it was like a- I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I mean, he was kind and all, but like I mean, I think he did a bit when I left. Like I don't know who that guy was. No, did he? I, I, yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of a goof, but I, I don't expect he did. I mean, I'm on cable late at night. I don't expect Letterman would have watched me. But like I did what I always do. I sent him a note and just said, you know, never handwritten. Please never forget. Please never forget what it what it means to somebody to walk across the stage and shake your hand. Like it was, it was, a, it was an honor and a thrill to be there and uh, whatever. I mean, uh, no, I never thought that I, I, I knew I had been on TV for a while uh, before right. you and I did our thing. Right. I- so, but, but you, but in the end, it was always this brotherhood where maybe I was the older brother, but I mean, look, there's a reason that our show was called what it was called because, and I, I hope that I made it clear to our audience and they always knew that it was a collaboration and it was, more, I said a million times, the best ideas are, are coming from Rosillo, not my, not my editor. So, no, I don't think you thought you're supposed to be there. I know I wasn't supposed to yeah, be there. Yeah, but you should have been. I mean, look, let's let's not kid ourselves. Every now and then, I'll throw in a late night show and be like, "This guy's on." <laughs> so, I'll, I'll, I was that guy. I'll just admit it. No, but come on, you're on Sports <laughs> Center at that point, almost 15 years. I just know yeah. that, despite me knowing kind of where I stood, I also have a pretty healthy ego. I just was always wondering deep down if there was ever one conversation from somebody behind the scenes was like, hey, does Rasilla think he's supposed to be going with you? And I knew that I wasn't. I, it was never, it was ne- there was not a second where I thought to myself, oh, he's going, but I'm not. We're co-hosts. That's bullshit. I, not a second. They actually, it was actually sort of framed though. Like it was, we talked about the radio. Like he asked, like when he, because you're going to plug something. They're not yeah. going to plug everything. I think, I think they mentioned radio. I don't know. It was a blur. It was, it was dark. It was cold. And then and my face was all blotchy and then it was over. So that's how it happened. And you weren't on anything because I know a lot of guys experiment with pills before they go on the show. 
No, I really, I would have really, I'd have taken anything. I would, anything, if you had it, I'd have taken it. What's this do? Just take the edge off? Is this make me really? Were you nervous? Want to hug? I mean, were you thinking uh, like, are your legs weak when you're walking across to say hi to Letterman? Yes, it's it's. There's no. Come on, who are you talking to? You, we, 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 we've, we've shared this with our audience. We all felt like frauds the whole time, like imposter syndrome. None of this shit's supposed to happen. And then you're standing there in the wings. And you're waiting to walk. It's a joke. I, and, and I mean, nervous, not nervous, like I'm going to go do something dumb, uh, but just you're sitting there next to David Letterman. I mean, on a show you grew up watching, the guy put on a Velcro suit and hung on a wall. I mean, he's just, of course, the, 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 that, the whole thing was, was, you know, entirely surreal. I mean, but I was there as a fill-in, you know, a norm and, you know, people like that, like just going back to where we started with him, just, whether it was there, whether it was Conan, any show that guy went on, he was the he was just the perfect talk show guest. I think in my mind, I just wanted to be not the worst talk show guest for for the five or eight minutes or whatever it was that I got to sit there. Yeah, I can imagine if my career starts to pick up, if I ever go on anywhere, I'll I'll swing for the fences, and it probably won't work out. But we'll see. Take drugs for sure. Just take take some drugs. <laughs> take a couple however however milligram however many milligrams of Adderall the kids take just to be super locked in. Speaking of talk shows, how upset were you to find out Stephen A. didn't want you on first take either, even though you weren't even on the show? I was gutting. I mean, I, I gutting. Uh, took some drugs then just to try, to try to feel better about it all. No, we're good. We're good. We're just late night. We're good. People people don't even know we're on. We just kick That's it. not we true. Kick, we're just kicking the can down the road at midnight. That's what we're doing. That's not true. We know the ratings are terrific and... I would say it's it's one of the shows, speaking of approval ratings, like you've been able to, I don't know if you brought this up before, I'm not going to spend an hour on it, but you have had a healthy approval rating in a way that very few people get to experience because eventually everybody hates all of us. Mm, well, I mean, I've, I appreciate that idea, I, I think, but I, I don't know, I, I I think we make I make fun of myself because I because I know I'm in on the joke, you know. I don't think I think that there's we've talked about this. There's an arrogance that's required to sit down and think anyone should give a shit what you think about anything. Uh, <laughs> no, and, and that's it, that's and, really stripping it down when you say it that way. You're like, oh, all right, yeah. well, right, like especially now, especially now, because there's just this sea of noise and people talking about. Let me tell you what I think about this and that. So you have to, and there's some some level of confidence you've got to have. But I also think you you got to be confident in just clowning on yourself as much as anybody. And I think certainly we did that, and I do that. And I think that I think when you're authentically who you are, and people know where I'm from, and they know, like I went to the Maryland West Virginia game a couple of a uh, couple of weekends ago. Blowout, and it's uh, Maryland won. It was which was yay Terps. But I think the fun thing is when you see the other fans, they know they know why I'm there. But I mean, somehow you can. I don't know. It's it's you're not trying to play both sides of it, and I've been guilty of that. You know, you talk out both sides of your mouth. God knows, like Van Pelt, just make a pick. Um, this, but maybe that, right? But I think as long as people know that where your allegiance lie and you're decent to people, that you know, you'll get the benefit of the doubt on some things. Hopefully, this episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it 
in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. What's the number one thing? What would you be leading the radio show with today or this week? Uh, I think the SC topic's fascinating. I really do. And I mean, some of it's what, what you and I used to do or what a podca- any podcast would do. And it turns into like, what are the best jobs? Yeah. And you talk through them and why. Uh, but I think the USC thing on its own is 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 a legitimately interesting topic because of what what are they? Um, and I don't mean to imply that they're not some great gig, but it, it was really interesting to me when I looked through what their history's been. Um, and I mean, I'm older than you, so I grew up with this. I don't even know what the how to explain it other than like USC would be on TV late in the afternoon on the East Coast, and it was the uniforms and the song girls, and it was. McKay or Robinson or whomever. And they always just, it was California. It seemed like, um, it, feel, it seemed like a universe away. And it, 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 I don't know if I'm explaining it in a way that makes sense, but it just seemed like it wasn't even part of the same planet I was from. Um, and it was just, it was, it was uh, something mythical. There was an aura about it. And if you look at them from say the early eighties till right now, Pete Carroll's the only guy that made him truly transcendent and they were the giant they were the bully on the block no questions but there was a whole lot of paul hackett types and and coaches where they were fine and all but they weren't alabama or or even like oklahoma they haven't been in the playoff so so that them as a topic not like who would want the job of course you'd want the job but they're not alone in being a fan base that thinks about that era and thinks well that's just what we are and then you think well, you know, that was 15 years ago. And 15 years now might as well be 150. Um, the thing that makes them different, though, honestly, in my opinion, you'd know better because you live out there, is that brand still trumps everything. And you're friendly with Chip. It's cool to see UCLA get it get it going. But when I say get it going, what they do? They beat LSU. Like, who's the brand in, who's the brand in Los Angeles right now? It's still USC, no, it's, it's I'm SC. sure. It's, it is SC. By, by yeah, and I don't know that it ever would be anything other than that. You know, I'm not saying it's right. Rams, Chargers, uh, which, which is even close. But although, you know, look at the Chargers put together this this really nice run with Herbert for a while. That'll at least change the conversation around it. But it's never going to happen. It's not, not going to surpass him. I'm with you. I think the way you frame that, and by the way, you went to the West Virginia-Maryland game, not Howard. So that would that one was close. That was a nice Maryland comeback. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. Right. Just want to clean that up. Howard. We're, we're very uh, we're thorough on this podcast. You know, we, we, there you we go. admit to our mistakes. Thanks. But the way you described it, the Northeast, like I remember those moments as a little kid, and you're like, oh my god! Like I remember watching you USC and UCLA, and you're just like, oh, it's still light out. I mean, you're you're just a stupid little kid. Like you don't you don't really get it, and you're like, what goes on out there? Like what what's the deal? And so exactly, I look. You know James Franklin pretty well from his time back uh-huh. in Maryland, and I'll I'll throw it to you this way. There's nothing more predictable than the fan base who doesn't want to lose their coach arguing about how great their job is. And it's like, wait, are you the only people arguing that your job is like closer to a top five job than a top 10 job? Penn State is a fantastic job. Um, yep. It's not a top five job. You have to be probably the premier program brand in your conference to be considered a top five job. And Penn State, you know, not only the lack of Big Ten history, but I don't know brand wise if it would ever be ahead of Michigan. Clearly, they're better on the field and have been for a couple of years. I even like Penn State this year, but with Ohio State there, I just don't know that that job's the same. Now, I've gotten time, uh, a couple chances to spend some time with Franklin. Like I said, you know him really well. Mm-hmm. I would think that guy has LA written all over him 
if he has the chance. He he did the thing Tuesday uh, in the press conference. He said, "Yeah, I, I've talked to the leadership council. Like they they got you know, got some group of guys on their team to you know kind of I guess kind of say, hey, look, there's going to be I, I I don't know what the hell they talked about, but he said we talked to them, focus on Auburn, blah blah blah. The thing, and this isn't taking a shot at James, it's any coach. Nick Saban wasn't going to Alabama until he was on the plane to Alabama because what's he going to say, right? I mean, and I." I hate that I always do this, but I but I remember these things so fondly. I, I think you and I would just talk as honestly about these things when we when we had the, the time to do it on radio. Like we ask you to be honest, and then you, you kind of we fault you if you are sometimes. But what's James Franklin going to say Tuesday when when the USC thing comes up? Well, you know we got a big game, Auburn whiteout game. We got probably the number one recruiting class in the country right now, Los Angeles man. What's up? I mean, yeah, of course, my agents are talking to him right now, trying to get a sense of what it is. My buyout's actually pretty affordable. USC could cut the check. It's only $4 million. Yeah, we're talking, but we'll see. Maybe I'll stay, and maybe I'll end up just getting a bunch more money here. I don't know. We're going to kind of see where things land. Anything about Auburn? <laughs> you could never have the honest question, excuse me, the honest conversation about it. But if I'm, if I'm USC, am I interested in James Franklin? Yeah, he's got a, he's got a charisma. Uh, to him, he's been successful. I don't even think people necessarily bring up the Vanderbilt thing anymore. You can if you want to, um, but I think he he's done. Uh, he's been close at, at Penn State. That the problem for them has been that the obstacle in their way is Ohio State, right? Uh, and that's something that doesn't exist at USC. There isn't an enormous hurdle that you have to get over. When we talk about these jobs, right, Ryan? I I think commitment of resources, being at a place where there's tradition, can you recruit, yada, yada. What kind of commitment do you have from your from your university to make winning football games a priority? You've got that at Penn State. I think it's been an issue at USC to a degree, and they're trying to sort that out. Um, but I, sure, I mean, if, if I'm him, would I be interested? I'd be interested just because it's SC. Wherever it ranks on the what job it is, it's one of those jobs that if they have interest in you, you'd be a fool not to at least – examine what kind of interest is that? I mean, you, you just right. kicking the tires right. or you want to, you want to sit down and look and, and talk about it. Both parties have to at least figure this out because, you know, USC, think. it's always crazy too the way this happens. Like look at Florida state. They're like, Hey, we're Florida state. They're like, okay, we got Willie Taggart. All right. And then it's like a letdown. And then it's like, okay, now we got Mike Norvell. And you're like, that's the best we could do. We're Florida state. Like all of these programs that think they're just supposed to get urban Meyer every time, like the success rate on that is so much lower. So at least, you know, as much as we we used to always do this, I'd be like, man, these programs care about winning the press conference as much as they care about winning games. Franklin, the Franklin would that, win you the, the press conference. You're right, but 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 what fan bases do, and, and again, it's it's because there's so many outlets now for the conversation, whether it's whether it's the Times or talk radio or blogs that have the blogs. podcasts, whatever the blogs, the the podcast, just the, the tonnage of conversation. It's you're not gonna you're not gonna be reasonable about that. It's always gonna be well, Urban Meyer. Well, he's got an NFL job, and they kicked the tires on this before, and it didn't happen for whatever. He's reason. been there a week, <laughs> right? And they're like, well, you know, he doesn't like the NFL. He's coming. Like, that's people are adults. They have jobs that they're trying to do that they're well compensated for, and that they, you want to talk about ego. You get that shot at that level. You want to see, all right? Can I win on a Sunday? Nick Saban. You know what the you know what the the smartest people with ego do, they set it aside and they realize this ain't for me. Nick Saban did it. You have to want to, 
Like, look at Pete Carroll. When Pete got the SC job, was he coveted? No, he was a guy who failed at that level. But he found his lane, and then all credit to him. He did what very few, maybe just him, did. Took that from SC, went to the NFL, and won at that level too. But I think having enough of an ego to set it aside and, and go back to Alabama, which Nick did, and I, I've, I've owned this as much as I can. I made fun of you people at the airport. My God, I'm like, look at these Look at these fools. Look at these mutants that are out there on the street, like having a parade when Nick Saban landed at the airport. And I was completely wrong. You were, you guys were, uh, you, if anything, your greeting for Nick Saban was insufficient in retrospect. Didn't that one woman try to make out with him? I think she yeah. did. Like, lady, lady, let's rein that in. Miss Terry's here. She's, 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 she's the wife. Um, but but I just I guess what I'm saying here is the names that will get thrown around, if they're if they aren't that, then even for SC it can be seen as some kind of failure if you get somebody that isn't the guy that wins the headline and the press conference, as they say, even for SC. So that's and the fact that they do it this early, Ryan, like what's James gonna do? He's got a He's got a, a game, a big one, and a, and a full season. They could have a big look, The way Ohio State looks like, you know, look, I'm still a little iffy on Clifford at this point with Penn State, but this could be a big season for this program. Yes, it could. I mean, it, it absolutely could. And it, and it it will be a big season for Eric Bieniemy and the Kansas City Chiefs. Adam Schefter said he's a Southern California guy. Maybe he's interested. But it's September 15th, man. Like, who's leaving their gig now for SC? So – it becomes really, really challenging for the people who might really be candidates and really be interested to actually talk about it. You can't. There's just nothing you can discuss. You're, you're in a committed relationship at the moment. I just, um, I just, so I, don't know. I just noticed a slight delay there. Did you get a, you get a text coming in? Was it important? Was it a nude? Did it rattled you a bit? The text that you got. No, I just wanted to make sure when I said Miss Terry, I got Nick Saban's wife right. I had it right. You did. I just was checking. That's like, good. You know, you do that thing oh, where you yeah. say it, and I'm like, wait, is, is it Terry? Yeah, it's Miss Terry. I just did it with the West Virginia game because I was like, wait a minute, the Howard game was the blowout. I'm like, they came back against Maryland. See, so, there you yeah, go. So. But you, 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 didn't, you didn't belie you, you know, the concentration, the, the host-to-host concentration. Try to say As much as you are being um, self-deprecating here on, on the Saban thing, I don't, I don't think you ever were saying – because we, we were starting to hang out at that point. It wasn't that you thought Saban was a bad hire. You thought the people were lunatics. And Yes, I yeah. thought they were being – I thought, no, of, of course, if you can get Nick Saban, get him. But look – Your favorite – by the not, way, your favorite plane greeting is a Gene Chizik greeting. The one guy behind the fence going, we need a leader, not a loser. And it was yeah. like one dude. And your Chizik take, I could never – like you looked at his Iowa State record, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. You're Auburn. You've got to be doing better than this. But again, the lesson throughout all of this is all of you programs, let's just say the top 20 programs. But when you look in the mirror, you see a top 10. But we'll take it out to the top 20. You rarely ever end up with the guy that you're like, oh my God, like we got him. This is incredible. And even Bama, you know, pre Saban, after Gene Stallings, Mike DeBose, Francione, who left, who went 17 and eight, was like, no, nah, I'm good. Mike Price. Did not officially enter they, the record books. Things got a little. Things got a little sideways there. Roll tight, uh, Mike <laughs> Shula. 
you know, yeah. who went 10 and 23. So like in the moment, you can sit there and think, oh, man, Bama, Bama. For Bama at some point post Saban is going to have like four years where you're like, what happened to this program? Texas, it's happening too long. Florida State, it's happening too long. SC, after Pete, tried to recapture that magic. Um, and then after Lane and then after Sark, clearly SC was like, can we just have a grown up? Can we have a guy who is like, who's 10 years older? I mean, Helton's only 49 years old. I looked at it. I was and, like, wait, what? So go ahead. And then Bone and then Bone goes out and talks about all the things they want. And Helton checks every <laughs> single box. Just say we want to be what we were when Pete was here. Just just say that. Because you don't always I mean, get Helton, it. That's the lesson, though, is you don't get to just be who you were. All these programs that do he, this deal where it's like we need to get back to a guy. No, no. You like, hey, this is what's important to us. This is the, no, you just want to win. You don't give a shit who's of course. doing it. <laughs> that's, that's all you have to say. And I and this is this is where there, if there were a prop bet, will the next guy at SC do better or worse than 40 and 22? I believe that's Helton's record there. I, I bet worse. I bet the next guy doesn't get 62 games. But I would have bet every dollar I had and every dollar I'd earn the rest of my life on earth if you put the, 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 the prop on Nick Saban, would he win however many titles it's been? I mean, of course, no one, no one knew that. So it's, I, this isn't to say, like Steve and I, Steve's like, are you saying they shouldn't have done it? No, I don't give a damn what you do. You want to get rid of Helton now? Fine. They had you to. Because it's it'd be feet on the ground out here. I don't know any former players that were upset about this this week. And when the players start and, all turning on you, man, it's over. And the places have former them. Former players, get, by the way. Uh, right. And they got stomped by a 17-point underdog that lost to Kansas State week one. I get it. But I, what I'm saying is that it, you want to get rid of him. Do what you want, but the 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 notion that every fan, every one of these schools sees itself as the best version of itself. You know, Tennessee's still talking about T. Martin, man. That's nineteen ninety eight. Okay, ninety eight. But and, and hey, that sounds like I'm talking about like the nineteen thirties and some some guy walking around wearing a top hat to go to the. I'm going to go down to the, see a picture show. <laughs> it's, it's not that long ago, but 2006 is, you know, it's 15 years ago for USC. So I don't know, man. All of it just is, is just, it's never ending, interesting topics of conversation. When USC is awesome, it's awesome. Uh, but it wasn't like you sucked. You didn't. You didn't. He wasn't terrible. He just wasn't what you wanted to be. So, okay, go be what you want to be. Okay, let's let's have a moment of of honesty here, uh, because we used to love doing this off the air, but we did it on the air too. Like we did something very early on the show where we were like, "All right, here's the program." When they look in the mirror, they see this, and this is actually who they are. I'm not uh, I'm not putting you on the spot. Like we did it with Georgia. Like if I'm a Georgia fan, I'm like, so what are we supposed to just apologize for a title forty years ago? Like my big thing, if I'm a fan of any of these 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 teams that are in the top, like, hey, we're Georgia, we're in the mix, we're in the mix. All right. That's the best you could probably ask for at this point. You want a certainty like Bama? Sorry. Nobody else is them. Really, in the history of the sport, nobody has ever been them. So, you know, we're not going to be them. But if, if the standard is, do we have a chance right now over a few-year period of competing for a national championship, Georgia actually checks that box. So, like, when I see some of the Georgia hate, I just like, look, man, I, I, none of that makes any sense. Like, they're at least in the mix. Who – give me a program, give me a fan base where <laughs> if Scott's being honest with himself, uh -huh. You're like, if they lose, I'm not so bummed out about it. Because 
you know, there's always the six years of buildup. Like people will, can say, hey, you guys will do this. You don't get it. If you get the six years of shit that you and I would get over the course of a football season because we didn't buy into one of the programs and then that program thinks it's happening to them for some personal reason, when it's likely that your team just isn't as good and we're pointing it out, then it sort of turns into this 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 chemical formula of this in the parentheses times X2. And it's like, yeah, I kind of can't stand you guys. So when you think you're back, like Miami would be a good example of like, oh, Oh, here we go. Cool. Like you got a guy who understands the culture. Got it. Okay. Now the recruiting lines are wide open. All right. Derek King is back, who obviously was coming off a brutal knee thing where he came back really quickly and they get run off the field against Bama. I would think there would be some that would take great joy in that because you're like, you know what? Your fan base is the reason I'm rooting against you. Let's be honest about the time we were on the air and the Florida State fan base. They, um, our crime was that we didn't love them as much as you loved them down in Tallahassee. But they've hit, they like the, the whole rock bottom things is kind of an overplayed card, so to speak. I mean, watching them lose to Jacksonville State the other night brought me no joy. I just was amazed that, that they were able to basically just run four verts on three straight plays and one of them worked. Uh, and, and seeing that happen, they've been, they've been through it. I think the fan base that still hangs on to this amazing sense of self in the face of so much evidence otherwise is Nebraska. You're going to say Nebraska. Like, well, because you guys, when you hired Mike Riley, every and we were in the group that looked around and like went, "What? Uh, that doesn't. What is that?" And he's a fine coach and a fine guy. It's just it was so seemingly out of left field that it made no sense. And he wasn't good enough for Nebraska, according to them. Scott Frost has to go 7-0 and from right now until the end of whatever to be as good as you thought Riley was bad. Riley was 500. Frost is 7 under 500 right now. And I see – and I mean – I think we all have to be very careful now how we take social media or Twitter. And I, I used to make fun of myself for being on message boards because those were losers. And I was one of how many hours. World, Give me just an estimation of peak Van Pelt message board time consumption. Several hours a day. I'd be on there looking around hourly. Like at night, you know, just at work. And you have the boards up. What do we got? Who's talking? <laughs> give, me, give me a bit. Were you under a pen name? A nom de oh, plume? Sure. What was it? Sure. I had a nom de plume. It was my old dorm from Maryland. But then people figured out it was me, and then it became like a problem. <laughs> so, but, but, but hold on. See, see, you're laughing hard. You're belly laughing right now. The world became, a, became the chat rooms. Twitter is just a, the world's chat room. That's all it is. So when I say people are saying, I don't even know if these are real Cornhusker fans, but when they're like, well, we just, no, we just need the right coach. You got the guy that you swore to yourselves was it. He was one of you. He's a link to your proud past. He was just undefeated at Central Florida. And you got him. And it hasn't mattered. And you're a three-touchdown dog Saturday in Norman. Um, I think Nebraska could compete in that game. But, but, I mean, what does that even mean to compete? So, I don't have any dislike towards them. It's, but it's when I feel like there's an arrogance 
that is so at odds with the reality of the current situation that when that when that team loses, I just kind of shrug and think, like, is anything going to make people be honest with themselves? Now, there's probably a lot of people in every fan base that are reasonable that get it. And then it's always that small percentage of, of people that are saying, no, all we need is the right coach and we'll be right back. to." No, you won't. Because the way you guys used to be able to recruit and the way you guys used to be able to do the red shirt bit and, and have like 150 guys and it was just a never-ending factory, that, that, that doesn't exist anymore. Um, but they're a good example of how a great past, a proud past, can be really difficult to escape from in right now. Uh, are they the same as USC? Of course not. Like Lincoln, Nebraska, and Los Angeles, California are the same thing. Um, and there's, there's, there are big obstacles in the Big Ten you have to deal with, notably on the other side. Like the West is pretty much wide open. That's the biggest indictment of them, isn't it? That they can't, they can't even get out of the West. My big thing same was, way my, this, my big, same way Miami can't get to the, 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 the ACC blew up its whole league so they could get Miami and they could play Florida State every year in the title game and Miami can't make it. No, no. I, and like the only time Florida State annoyed me was after they won the title and it was clear it wasn't the same team and Jameis was, was pulling out these wins. And yet they felt like the fan base got really mad as if it was everybody was out to get him. And you're like, no, these, these are the rules. When you are at that level, you are then held to a different standard. It's why we're more critical of Russell Westbrook than we would be Kemba Walker. All right. Because one guy's an MVP and the other guy's like, oh, that's that guy from UConn that scores a lot. All right? And granted, you know, maybe that's not the perfect analogy, but you get the point. So when you are at that top threshold, you are going to be held to a certain standard. So when you're coming off a national title, Florida State Auburn. And then they're coming in next year and you're like, I don't know. I don't know about this team. And again, they got smashed by Oregon out at the Rose Bowl. It's like, oh, okay. So they did have some issues. And then it actually turned into a Florida State fan fueled thing. Remember that Rolling Stone article that they let a Florida State alum write about how ESPN was trying? Like, it was so dumb. It's so, It was one of the worst articles because it was like the guy was like, uh, the sports anchor said on ESPN that um, Arizona beat Arizona State 38-28. He goes, but then he said, Florida State barely gets by UNC 38-28. And it's like, see, see the way they framed it. And you're like, oh my God. Like, you don't, it's like, guys, that did happen. Like, that, guys, that happened. guys are just on air saying stuff, trying to get through the next scores. You're giving all those updates. And again, I just made those up off the top of my head. And then when Jimbo poured gasoline on top of it, where he was like, well, you know, uh, SEC's with ESPN and uh, ESPN and SEC, they, they get a lot of money involved, and you're like, oh, okay. So you're doing it too, and then that was the ultimate Jimbo shut me down when I had him in studio. I was like, hey, do you realize when you say that, like this, this, and this, and Jimbo's like, good to know? And he just, he, it was actually brilliant. He just was like, yeah, okay, whatever, dickhead. Like, slammed the brakes on my whole point that I was going to make. That was a window of Florida State where I was like, this isn't even specific to Florida State. Like, this happens all, all the time. And honestly, of all the Florida schools, I probably like Tallahassee and Florida State more I, like if they all were in a Royal Rumble, I'd probably be rooting for Florida State. So I don't take there's no part of me that watches the Jacksonville State game where I'm like, oh, good. I don't even care anymore. And I've never been anti Florida State other than that sliver of time where Florida State Twitter was out of control for like a year plus where they thought the world was out to get him. It's like, no, your title winning team doesn't look as good. And now you're being scrutinized because you're in the spotlight as much as any program in the country. That. That's that's perfectly said. That Florida State Twitter was at, at its peak was just amazing. And it was everything. It was us in bed with the SEC, to which I would always try to say, Do you understand it's an they orgy? Don't. We're all yeah. we're all in bed. Well now there's an ACC. Pineapples network, everywhere. So 
Well, it's a whole it's a whole lot harder to say now that ESPN put a, a shit ton of money into the ACC network as well. Um, and again, it's what I've always it's never said. true. We're all we're in bed. But I, I just went back as you were talking and looked, and I remember they were down twenty-one to nothing at Louisville, and they managed to not just come back, but come back and they got like a late score to win by eleven. So in the end, it was one. It was they just kept Jameis kept pulling rabbits out of hats. So when they got absolutely trucked by Oregon in Pasadena, that was one where I there were I think everyone in media. Yeah. Yes. This is being well, honest. No <laughs> one. No one in media had a funeral. Or and had like a second line for for the Florida State fan base because you guys earned whatever sort of snickers you got because of the, how you were convinced that, that that everybody and their mama was against you. But now, now like because you lost to Jacksonville State, and I mean it's it, it, there's been a litany of these things that have happened since. To me, they're they're look at what they illustrate. They're not that far removed. Like they want a playoff in the playoff. USC's never been in it. So uh, Florida State, just like SC, Florida State has a million reasons why they could come back. Recruiting base, history, facilities, fan base, yada, yada, yada. But the, the fact that they are stuck in a place where they're spinning their wheels is, I think, illustrates uh, an instructive, it should be anyway, to big-time powers of, and it's really, it's really hard. It's really hard. That's why you, the point you make on Georgia is a great one. They're they're one two a pass away from winning a title in a game where they 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 were better for fifty five minutes against Bama in that title game and they lost in overtime. Um, and but they're there. They're they're right there with a chance. And maybe you feel like you're Charlie Brown running up to kick the football, and you wonder if you're ever going to kick it. But I'd rather at least be running up to kick the football than. Sitting on the sitting over there, remembering what used to be. Yeah, and by the way, real quick, that was the last BCS game actually, Florida State and Auburn, and then they lost in the playoff. I just wanted to clean that up. Oh, there you go. My, no, my, just, my we're accountable. We're that's that's what people always said about them. I do. We don't like the show and management, but they're accountable. Uh, nah, our, they don't tease well. Coming up. All right, here's uh, here's a we're gonna get real here because we do some life advice. We have a lot of relationship right. guys. At what point did my friend Scott Van Pelt say, you know what, 4 a.m. recruiting guys in a video game, let's start a family. Well, you know, Ryan, you'll be, you'll be pleased to know that last night I uh, came home and fired up the game and, and played a game. Uh, I, nice. I guess, what I'm saying, I guess what I'm saying to the people out there, find you a guy who can do both. Huh? <laughs> juggle, juggle three children. Early wake-up calls, COVID tests at school, little guys freaking out, ready to fight the world, and and take that program. To, what happened last year was was in the middle of the pandemic when Big Cat dusted off that game and played it. I actually said, "Let me go find that game," and then it's it's the that NCAA 2014 is the perfect come down late at night when you come because you can sit there in the dark the glow of the screen. It's sort of uh, hypnotic. So I guess what I'm saying is uh, I'm doing both now, but at what point did I realize that that life was, I think when I, I think when the clock, I started doing the, the, the math, right? I talk a lot about sleep math. You know, when you, when you're up late, you know, you, the alarm's going to go off at seven and it's three 30 and you go, if I fall asleep right now, I'll do this. I started doing the, if I got married right now and had kids, 
I'll probably be dead before they're going to get married. And that kind of bummed me out. So I just, I, I thought, I, I thought, I, I, th I thought I should probably start, start a life before I was dead. That's, that's kind of what happened to me. You did say to me once that you were like, um, <laughs> you said it was an incredible line. I was like, so, you know, and cause I am, I am head down with a, with a neck roll on towards the alternative version of, of what you have now. And you had said, I don't want it to be that really old guy dropping his kids off at the dorm that everybody makes fun of. <laughs> and I, I remember one of our, one of our college friends, like his dad showed up, but like, why is your grandfather moving you in? Like, what is going on? Yeah, that's going to be me. But hopefully I'm so fucking famous that the people be like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I can see that. Speaking of fame, take us through that new truck ad that you have. Uh, I didn't think of you as a truck guy. I like that you're expanding out the Scott Van Pelt experience slash brand. Um, feel free to get a plug in for this new truck. And I don't know if you saw my tweet. You were loaded up with oh, a ton of accessories on the belt, and there was almost a fanny pack. What the fuck was going on with the outfitting for that? Um, I do want to say thanks, as always, for for tweeting out accessories. That's um, that's really helpful. Very few got that. <laughs> the one. Uh, no, that was uh, that was just a little ram, you know, fifteen hundred ram tough. Uh, well, you know, it's a place called Trucktopia, right? Uh, this is actually, this is free. I'm not even, I'm not even getting any dough for this. Uh, look, these things come down the pike. They, they're looking for people that can move product. And I'm that guy. Um, did, did, a little, did a little spot with Tony the Tiger. You did. Uh, and I, and I, Najee Harris you know, as well. Yeah, there you go. I mean, how do you, and, and well, how do you, whether it's like, that was almost like it's a, going, no, no, just let me interrupt though, because that Tony the Tiger ad, that's a lot like Avatar. So you're acting with CGI involved. That was a whole new challenge for you as an actor. Well, I mean, I've spoken with Jimmy. Uh, that's James Cameron. Uh, me and Jimmy and Jimmy are, are you know, what similar I mean, interests. Watches, deep sea. Yeah, we're 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 just we're talking about some things down the road because Avatar's got four or five films down the you know in the in the chamber. They're just getting ready to spring on people. So yeah, I mean, I was uh, working with Tony, uh, big ego, Tony the Tiger, like a huge entourage, a lot of a lot of handlers. How could you not? Um, you know, I like to work stealth. Just me. I'm in and out. Uh, obviously I'm kidding. Uh, it, was, it was good fun, but these things pop up, whether it's a muscle truck or uh, some kid's cereal. I'm well, just, I'm just here to okay. try to move products. But what were you wearing? Why did you have to have all that stuff on? Because what were you like, were they selling? Cause I was the park ranger. See this, it's trucktopia. See Ryan, this truck's coming in and I'm the guy that's there to make sure that, uh, you know, that you've got the credentials. And then if, if maybe if you're some kind of imposter, I got the what for on my hip just to make sure. It was not actually a handgun. I think it was just like where like a pistol would go or something. But thankfully, you were out there to, to let everybody know that I had accessories on my belt. That was like a that, that, that took two days. It was like this full green screen. And it was in this like Metro bus terminal uh, downtown in D.C. So it was outdoors and it was the coldest couple of days of the winter. So I just I, I, I suffered for the art, for, for the craft. But I don't think you could tell, can you? No, those ads. That's acting, buddy. They're, they're, uh, I couldn't tell. I, I, honestly, I still feel like after working on a couple with you that those could be done more efficiently. Am I wrong? Uh, listen. I don't want to call out the industry here, but I just, whenever you're on a shoot for an ad, you go, wait, what? 
Like we were at Dick's Sporting Goods, I think, for 12 hours that day, which was actually not bad. Not bad. My sense of it is this, and is that they're, they're, they could be a leaner outfit. <laughs> what I mean by that is that there are so many, you wouldn't believe how many people are there on, on a commercial shoot. The, the crew, uh, the, the number of people who are there is, is unbelievable. And I mean that 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 Ram ad it was like a movie set. It was it was rather involved, and it goes on and on. But hey, people have money to spend, and they're going to spend it. Make sure that they get all the shots and the takes exactly the way they want them. I go back to the very first This Is Sports Center ad that I ever did with Rich Beam, who had won the uh, PGA Championship. I remember and that they, Rich Beam. Yeah, nickname was Beamer, and the, and the gist of the joke Makes was sense. he was driving this little BMW convertible. He had the Wanamaker trophy in the front seat and I was in the trunk and I was actually in the trunk for how long? And I got, I, pardon? how long were you in the trunk for the longest stretch of time? This is a sports center ad. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was brief. Like I wedged myself in there. I'd have to fold my legs in, but I was actually in this trunk. They drive, pop the trunk and I get out and I did it. And then I did it again. And then I did it again. And finally, like I had done it eight times and, and, and it, I wasn't, it didn't feel good to be in there for two seconds. And I just said to the director, like, this is my first one. I was so excited to be in one. Those things are iconic. I'm willing to do whatever. I just said, look, whatever shot you need, whatever cutaway, different angle, you need to get it on this one because I'm not getting in the trunk again. And they're like, got it. <laughs> yeah, I would think. Got I it. I would think. And then, and then, punchline, they used the first take because it was sort of the most authentic me kind of moaning and grunting and getting out of there. If you Google it, kids, you'll see two things. Number one, I believe I'm wearing a very uh, handsome blue Joseph Abood shirt. You'll see that I'm pretending to have hair and you'll see I'm wearing a very chunky square-toed Kenneth Cole, yeah, those, as I recall. Kenneth Cole did not that make was, a non-square tip for about a decade. That, that with like the big lug boot sole. Adam. So it's like they had like the Timbo soles with the square and the tassel and uh that's, I'm actually smiling at the memory. Uh, but yeah, that's, I guess what I'm saying, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore, uh, other than that the ads are very involved. But I'm, you know, I'm out here, I'm, I'm out here, folks. You want to move product, get it your boy. That's what we do. Sell trucks, cereal, whatever. Okay, we're going to finish with this. It's a new segment here on the podcast. We ask all of, I love we ask all of our guests this last question. Oh, Who have you muted? Uh, do I have to tell? No. Like a real, like a, like a real no, person? I've never done this segment before. Uh. <laughs> it would just be awesome if everybody just started like, yep, kind of got sick of this guy's leans. I just mute people that say hateful stuff because if you. If I met people you follow. Block. Like, I'd love if you were like, you know, oh, you're like, right. hey, Ravage, I get it. Baseball's picking up. but No, I think I, I'm just going to pass <laughs> on this one <laughs> because they're. Because there's people that you follow because you kind of have to, but then you realize if I unfollow, it's just way easier to mute. And I'm like, oh, I missed it. Now, but see, I saw the accessories tweet. I just chose not to. I chose not to engage. <laughs> You're the best. I want to let you get on with the rest of your day. Say hi to the wife and kids, and we'll do it again soon, all right? I look forward to it. Hope life's uh, beautiful in your part of the world. Always good to catch up. My Thanks, man.
This episode is brought to you by Seed. You know, as you're getting a little bit older and you're like, hey, I wonder if I need that supplement. What's going on with that one? Does this one make me feel better or did I just buy it or did somebody suggest it? I'm not really quite sure what the deal is. I'll tell you this, probiotics, the right ones, they work. Did you know that most green powders and probiotics don't survive digestion? Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is engineered in a two-in-one capsule to safeguard viability through digestion for complete delivery to your colon. A broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24-hour clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole-body benefits, including gut, heart, and skin health. Visit seed.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Use the code 25RYAN, R-Y-E-N, that's 25RYAN, to start seeding today. This episode is supported by H&R Block. Knock, knock. Real estate pros. You could save up to 30% when you file your business taxes with Block Advisors instead of a typical accountant. That's because Block Advisors was built by H&R Block to provide small business tax prep that doesn't cost an arm and a leg. Their tax pros are specially trained to help real estate pros like you get every available credit and deduction, 100% accuracy, guaranteed. Visit blockadvisors.com slash real estate today to get started. Average savings based on national average fees for Federal Form 1040 plus Schedule C and one state filing in latest available 2020 survey conducted by the National Society of Accountants. Pricing may vary. See blockadvisors.com forward slash guarantees for full details. We may be number three in overall categories, but we are number one when it comes to international sports. I don't think there's any debate about that. The growth of going <laughs> abroad has continued uh, throughout the season. We're going to keep yeah. look. With Kevin Clark and in, in, in my schedule, we can't guarantee you're going to get going abroad on Mondays. It's probably never going to happen. But why not? A, never. Why, why not a little Wednesday love for you? Fresh off the Italian Grand Prix, Monza, a McLaren podium, one two, Ricardo Norris and Bodas, who again we can get to him starts last, ends up third. What a day! This is the kind of race, Kevin, that I think if you knew nothing about it, all right, if if you hadn't watched any of the Netflix shows, which is the only reason I'm into it because you're into it. Uh, because I know the characters now. There's there's an element of drama. As, you know, anything you pay attention to after a little while, it's kind of like reality TV. I hate some of these shows, but after like four episodes, I'm like, are they going to break up? So um, <laughs> this is the kind of race, if you were just to sit and watch this for the first time ever, you would probably go, wait, this happens? Like, this yeah. is what it is? I mean, we had an incredible, like, I don't know where you want to start with this, but I just think the overall entertainment level for this yeah. specific race on Sunday was about as good as you're going to get. So I want to start with shout out Danny Rick. Um, great, tough, we, we made fun timing. of him on Friday. You did uh, good timing, I would say. I was it was a good take. I stand by it. We were slightly wrong. It happens. Now I actually want to kind of peel back the curtain here for a second. So the the Max and Lewis accident to me is more significant than the first one. Um, I'm stealing this take from Joel and Palmer on the BBC coverage. Shout out BBC Formula One coverage. But he said we've reached the point now where these guys clearly would rather wreck themselves out of a race than give up, than than like let than give an inch. And part of it is that Max knows at Monza, where Mercedes has an advantage because they're just a, a faster car in the straights. Part of it is the you don't want to give up out of the turns, and that creates some problems. Max now is known for complaining as soon as there's a crash. Um, Lewis was a little bit upset that that Max didn't even check to make sure he was okay. I mean, the car was on his head at one point. And Max kind of got out of the car and left. Um, but kind of every he didn't even he just left. He just I failed. mean, just, he just so failed. people can understand a little bit too here. Ricardo off of the off the pole makes the line because he's inside. So the way it's set up again, I don't understand this stuff that much. But it's like if you get a good start, you actually because yeah. you have the inside can get ahead. So Ricardo immediately 
takes P1 off of off the start, and then Max is behind him. Max has a horrible pit, 11 seconds, yep. all right? 11 seconds. And it's amazing, just a second here or there, how the butterfly effect, uh, effect of this whole thing is incredible because yep. then later Hamilton pits, he has a bad pit over four seconds, and as you're coming out of the pit, you've got to stay inside of the white line, and as soon as he has passed the white line, he veers yep. right in front of Max into the chicane where it's really crowded. And we saw people having trouble with it all the time. You can't really make any move in there depending on your line. And so part of it, it's like Hamilton veered right in front of him, which is fine because it was defensive and he was clear of the pit line. And yep. then Max's argument was he doesn't give me any room. And if we, if we, for all the new people right now, every time there's an accident, the other guy always says the other guy didn't give him room. All right. That's, yep. that's just automatic. That's the line. And so Hamilton is in our outside. He still has the the edge. And as Max goes into the sausage curb, which these curbs are different, Monza, it bounces yep. his car up and it lands on top of Hamilton and they're out of the race. And as you said, Max just gets out and he's so mad. And he walked for what felt like 20 minutes <laughs> back. <laughs> um Back to what do they call it? Very angry. I've never seen an angrier walk. And Hamilton's pronounced in his walk. And he's just stuck there. Right. Shout out to the halo, which is the little thing on top of drivers' heads that kept Lewis Hamilton from having a car on his skull, which is important. That was only installed, I think, three years ago. There was a lot of debate about it because, I don't know, traditionalists didn't like it because Michael Schumacher didn't have it. I don't know. But it's a good thing. Uh, The 11-second pit, I just want to address that really quickly. The reason that happened with Red Bull is apparently, I did not know this until this weekend. If you put a wheel on, there's a computer that sort of tells you what's going on and you have to press OK on like an iPad or something. And the guy just didn't press OK. So the, so it never released. That was the problem. So it's like a little, a literal like middle management problem from what I understand. So it's um, a like rock in the skyscraper where it's like, re, just reset your phone. Yeah. <laughs> So, but then I, I want, so I want to go back to the Max thing because everybody says that now Max complains about everything. He complained, obviously, at Silverstone. He complained about this. Like, it's clear that Max thinks that anybody who hits him is in the wrong. So I was coming on this. I have a literal half page of notes here ready to destroy Max. But, but this morning I watched the new Michael Schumacher documentary on Netflix. Okay. It's out. It's good. I enjoy it. I recommend it. There's a moment in there where Dave Coulthard, who was uh, who was one of Schumacher's uh, contemporaries, uh, wrecked with Schumacher, and they got out of the car, and it was clearly both guys were at fault. And Dave said to Michael, "Okay, you know what? Obviously, you have to take some responsibility. We we both kind of screwed up there." And Schumacher was like, "No, I don't accept that." And Dave goes, "Well, you must be wrong, like at some point ever." And Schumacher, without a hint of joking, said, "Not that I can remember." And so. I just, in that moment, I realized that to get to this level, you have to have 100% confidence in every move that you do. This seems like an uncontrollable, fluky sport. I was watching George Russell's head cam the other day uh, during the sprint race, and it, it's just such a, you're bouncing around way too much. There's a reason, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Russell, a lot of the exercises these guys do are neck exercises. They put weights on their neck because it's just bouncing around all the time. It seems like such a, reckless and wild sport but these guys think they have control over it every single inch of the track and you can't get to the max for stop in lewis hamilton level without having that level of certainty 
And so I get it. And that's why I think now, even hearing this anecdote from Shumi, is that that these sorts of accidents are A, going to keep happening because both these guys are wired like that. Lewis dares guys to crash. Max is going to crash in that situation. This is going to keep happening. We're going to keep having fluky results like Daniel Rick and, and uh, McLaren being the, the first one-two of the year for any team. It's McLaren. Um, there are so many things that led to this. But this was an amazing race, and it's going to keep happening because of the mentality of the only two guys who can win the championship. Really well said. A little surprised with the Shumi reference, but again, I'm new to this, so um, I'll allow it. This is setting up between Verstappen and Hamilton, though. Like this is, this would be like having. I don't know. I don't want to compare anything to Jordan, but it'd be like prime Kobe and LeBron going at it and us never knowing. I mean, Max is still in the points lead, which is incredible considering the bad luck at Baku where he crashes in the lead yeah. lap. Um, Silverstone, as you mentioned, that ended up being a 10-second penalty for Hamilton, but it wrecked for stopping, yeah. so he's out, and Hamilton still ends up winning the home race. Yeah. Um, I've gone back and watched a lot of different stuff. Like Silverstone, everybody was all over the place with that one. They're like, actually, it was Max. No, it was Lewis. If the axles pass the rear axle, if the front axles pass the rear axle, it's still yours. This one, like, I don't have a problem with Hamilton coming out and being defensive out of the pit exit. That's exactly what you're supposed to do there. Um, but you said something I think that was one of the most resonating facts for me when I watched the Netflix doc is I think it was Vettel. Here's Vettel, who's won a bunch of championships. Yeah. He's with Ferrari. You know, now he's with uh, Alpha, right? Uh, he's with uh, Aston Martin. Aston Martin, excuse me. Um, tough weekend for the Alphas. Uh, Haas, though, not bad. But Vettel was supposed to let somebody <laughs> the pass. Haas, the Haas drivers <laughs> openly hate each other, by the way. Yeah, they <laughs> crashed each other this week. It's really and good. They're in it's, the, and they're in the back. It's also, they both have absolute job security because... Mick Schumacher is A, a Schumacher, but B, good. And Mazepin, his dad, is funding the team. So they're just good. They can just continue on like this. Yeah, they never have to worry about any of this stuff. And this is the dynamic that I would I would tell people, like, you have to understand how frustrating this is because at your core, if you're one of these 20 guys, you are wired a certain way. And Max and Hamilton are like times 10 and in the best yeah. cars. But I think there was an episode with Vettel when he was still with Ferrari earlier on the Netflix series where Vettel's supposed to let somebody pass. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, next lap. <laughs> and they're like, let him pass. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, he's just, he's like, oh, I'm picking up my pace. They're like, okay, but you got to, can you, and then they go back afterwards. Yeah. And they're just like, look, if you don't have some bastard in you, then you actually can't win an F1. Like you can't even get yeah. here. But like these guys that have won the championship, for the season, like they have some bastard in them. And yep. I think that's what we're seeing with two incredibly talented drivers in in the two best, I would say, cars right now. I don't think anybody's, even though we could talk about Mercedes not being what they were in comparison to everybody else, I don't think anybody's going to argue that there's a third car even with the, after a great weekend for McLaren. And hell, even with Lando Norris, who some people think, look, is quicker than, than Ricardo and could have overtaken him on Sunday... And even Lando's like, hey, tell Ricardo to go faster. And they're like, yeah. Ricardo, go faster. He's like, well, I can't because of the tires. Like, no, you can go faster. And then he's like, no, I'm good. And then they never at any point were going to tell Ricardo to let Lando pass him, which is what I think right. you would probably know way more about that than I would. Okay, so two things. Number one is that we mentioned the Danny Rick thing uh, and the NBA thing. 
I don't, Danny Rick gave an interview to the BBC midweek and said that he actually took inspiration from The Last Dance. He is a, he's a NBA head. Um, that's why I'm surprised that uh, maybe, maybe he heard the Dwight Howard comp. Maybe he heard it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying he's an NBA media consumer. Okay. Yeah. Um, but he said that he'd watched Last Dance and he, one of the things he took from it was to use anything as fuel. And so when he was getting off the line against Max, he said he remembered a time three years ago when Max beat him off the line and he was miserable about it for days. And he decided to use that as the fuel. This is a race nobody remembers from three years ago. And I thought that was interesting. And I think that sometimes we forget, even Danny Rick, who is an all-time vibes guy, he looks like he's just hanging out sometimes. Like, that's a guy who who really still has the, the motivation to be a top, top driver. The Lando thing, so Lando radioed in when he was second. He's quicker than Ricardo. And also, by the way, at that point, people were worried the broadcast said Botas was going to win. If you remember that, um, yeah, no, they he, there was like a lap thirty as Botas just yeah. cruising through everybody. He went from Nineteen to three. I think once he was fourth, and again he ended up third in the podium because of a, a penalty for Perez, um, or Perez, excuse me. I, I'm having what, I'm having what, a hard what, time. What Perez, he didn't lose his position, so he was able to block Botas. It was a very important thing. If yes. Perez had had to had actually had to go behind Botas, it's a totally different race. But he got a five second time penalty. Um, so Lando radios in to the McLaren HQ and kind of just pokes around and is like, so, uh, <laughs> you know, what do you want me to do? It reminded me, Ryan, of the tone. And you know this. We talked about it on Sunday Day of the day. The tone when people call you to book themselves on your podcast. You know that? You know, oh, I was just thinking, you know, I was just thinking about this and just wondering if you, you know, just wanted to talk about it. That's all. Like, it was that kind of probing call. Um, and so... McLaren correctly said you cannot race because that would just increase the chances of a wreck and it would ruin the chances of a one two. And so I I understand why that happened. I understand why Lando I, I was listening to some of the stuff this week. Apparently Lando was just like Mr. McLaren. Like he apparently he's like involved with the like actual like loading of the dock and the car like afterwards. Like he's just really all in on McLaren. So I understand why he took one for the team, but I also understand him wanting to win his first damn race, which he had an opportunity to do. There's no version of this where if Lando's one or Ricardo's two that they tell him to to ease off. Like, you know, there's other teammate setups where you would feel that way. But as far as the point standings go, they weren't going to do that to Lando if it were the other way around. Correct? No. I'm asking. No, th- I, I, you, what, what happens in these situations is you, A, prioritize who, who's winning and who can win. Um, and you prioritize the one and the two. Um, and so I don't, I think that there was never going to be, I and mean, we've seen so many horror stories of teammates trying to, to go straight up and, and race and it ends really badly. So I understand for McLaren who just needed a W. I mean, this is a huge thing for McLaren. Everybody's talking. It's so funny because the formula changes next year. Everybody is doing the college football thing now where it's like, uh Oh, McLaren 2022. Maybe they figured something out. Everyone was talking about how, um, Daniel Rick took the this August break and had a think. That's what he said. And now he's in tune with the car. And it's very, it's almost the exact same discourse, Ryan, of like, oh, this guy's finally comfortable in the offense. This is it's finally comfortable in the offense. Like, here we go. He understands it. He gets the car. And so now I think McLaren, just emotionally, this is a big thing. They're probably going to become a little bit overrated for 2022 because of this. Um, but I loved it and I and I I'm I'm happy for everybody involved. I'm not going to tell you it's the reason, but I can't ignore it. McLaren sent me a big gift pack right before this weekend. And it's I got not, not yeah, the reason. Some quarter zips. You can't rule it out. 
No, you can't. What? Uh, you can't. What's? Have you worn any of it out? Yeah, but living in it, worked out in it. Like, oh, look at McLaren. Like, like look at McLaren. McLaren guys just doing chest today. I'm like, yeah, just biceps tomorrow. Why? Focus. Breathe through the muscle. Feel it. I, um, I by the way, I think I'm um I'm waffling on house on on house. I don't know, man. What do you, what do you mean you? Now you are. Where were you before? I don't know. I was in on. I, I decided I was going to be a fan of the most American thing in F one at all times because America has been written out of the history of F one and it shouldn't. We had Americans in Ferrari for God's sake, forty years ago. We're going backwards. So I decided I'd become like American F one guy. But now I don't know if I want to be involved with Haas, man. Has our emphasis on improving American soccer hurt our chances of an American in an F one seat? I would say on podcasts, certainly. I mean, think about the go out going abroad ten years ago would have just been about Didier Drogba, you know? No, it's true. It's totally true. All right. I so by the way, Max is still um five points ahead of of Hamilton. And if you and again, if you Silverstone, Baku where he's gonna win, and then this one, I mean, well, I think that's three retirements. I don't think there's another one that I could be missing. Um so it's actually been an unlucky stretch for Max, who's still in first, if you think of it that way. But Max was given a three-grid penalty to start grid Sochi. Yeah. Sochi. Yeah, so, I mean, three's not... And this is, again, my remedial understanding of this and just reading everything else that's available. It's just that that's not considered that much of a penalty. So we'll see what happens with him. But this was, yeah, this was an incredible, incredible race. And the Botas part of it, too, from, what, 19th to, to 3rd, and you're right. Like, if it wasn't for those other elements, his his times, you're like, he he may have won this whole thing. And he actually, for a guy that knows he's gone, although I thought it was funny last week when he was basically complaining throughout the pit strategy, and it's like, this is a guy that already has left the job and they're asking him to stick around for a little while. Yeah. Uh, he was, he was, I think, you know, he rarely, as we know, the Finns keep it very close to the vest, not to generalize, <laughs> but for somebody that rarely is happy about anything, um, you could almost sense some joy from him. And I don't know if it's like, it's not because his teammate crashed because there's still the constructor series, but he in the post race deal, I, I thought showed a side of him of like, yeah, I know how impressive that was what I just did. And by the way, I thought it was hilarious because of Haas, they were like, did you not attack on the first lap because of Haas? He's like, yeah, we just want to get it out of the way. <laughs> he didn't say it, but that was basically like I was going to let everybody screw with each other for the first lap, and then I was just going to cut through everybody, and that's what he did. So this was, I'm telling you, if you've never watched a race or anything, you can go back on ESPN and, and watch it. I mean, look, that's asking a lot in football season to anybody. I doubt many people yeah, do it's, it. It's an hour and a half. It's and there's no commercials. This was one of the best examples you could give somebody if you were like, hey, if you're on the fence about checking out a F1, watch the Italian Grand Prix because it was, it was. There, you know, there's other races where you're like, all right, 30 laps has kind of been the same thing here. There's a little bit of a lull. You can get into the pit strategy, which I still don't understand all the time. It's just like, why don't you just pit ahead of them then? That seems to be the thing that everybody wants to do. But again, I understand the tire part of the whole deal. Uh, but this was this was 90 minutes of like start to finish locked in the whole time. I thought it was funny. You know, there's there's so many like back in my days from broadcasters that are always kind of over the top or ridiculous. So. There was a obviously when Verstappen was on top of Hamilton on top of his car, Brundle <laughs> just told this little anecdote and he was like, you know, uh, I'm glad the halo's there because in FP3, Senna one time, uh, his tire was on my shoulder and he was still revving the engine. 
And I was like, that that's a back of my that's a very relevant back of my day that, that does suggest a little more toughness from from those guys back then. Yeah, that's scary because I mean, at one point he is revving, but then he didn't. He had lost it, and you know, Verstappen's trying to get off of Hamilton's car, and you're like, is the tire hitting his head? It was but you're right. I was terrified when I saw it. Yeah, you're right because you're thinking like, hey, can I still stay in this race? And then he doesn't realize he's he's taken out the entire right side of his own car um, with that. Here, I got to ask you now that I've I've been a little bit more locked in this season. Crofty, the main guy on the call, what does he do with some of these pronunciations? Does he just decide to say stuff this way? Because you can't just say it's his accent and where he's from. Instead of Hungary, during that one, he was like, oh, here we are at Hungary. And then he actually will say Hungary later on. There's some words that he'll just say, and I'll go, what's going on? Now, I understand our fascination as an American culture. We love to be judged by people with accents, specifically the English. We uh, we, We do not feel complete as a society until we have English people telling we're doing something wrong on television. But I, I'm picking up some things with Crofty. Okay, so uh, easy answer on the Hungari thing. Uh, Hungaro Ring is the name of the track. So it's possible he's conflating the two sometimes or he just gets a little bit too... Uh, he just molds those two things together. I defer um, to him then. So I, it reminds me a little bit of... Uh, remember John Miller on Sunday Night Baseball? Oh yeah, he, Big time. he would just go way over the top and like ask these guys what their pronunciations were, and then he would, which is good and and noteworthy and admirable. But then he would just really ham it up, really ham it up. Remember, I remember uh, he would just go just full steam ahead with Juan Uribe. And it was just that was his big thing. Uribe, and he would just like let everybody know he nailed Uribe, and that twenty nine other announcers had failed at Juan Uribe. Um, so I think Crofty takes a little pride in that. It's a good, it's a good way of putting it. It's kind of like in Veep where all of a sudden, like Julia, uh, Louis Dreyfus is out yeah, and she has to be at the inauguration for President Montez and she just, she does it like they really sell it a lot. Anyway, and if you haven't seen Veep, this is irrelevant. It's not making any sense. So we're going to move on from that. <laughs> um, what, uh. What else do we have? I think that's it. That's twenty minutes. I think we. I, I think, think we got it, it all. We got, we got Sochi in two weeks. Um, that'll be something to watch. But this season's heating up, and you know, I know that during football season, it's tough to juggle. Lord knows, I got four sports that I'm obsessed with. But it's an hour and a half on Sunday mornings, and as long as it's not too early in the morning where you live, uh, I recommend it. Highest recommendation. All right. Well said. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? I don't have soccer practices, whether my age or someone else's age. So I like to try to figure out how to maximize my time because I have more time than others. Whether it's going for a run, getting a workout in. My favorite thing, I love to read. And I love to go to my spot and try to veg out and not think about anything else that's going on in my life or my day other than that escape to just dive into a book and be outside. And I'm lucky that I get to do that. The best way to squeeze in that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you so that you can make it a priority. And therapy can help you figure that out. A therapist can guide you through the process of defining your values and understanding your priorities so you know what things you can spend your time on that will really fulfill you. Otherwise, you'll always be wishing for more time. 
If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Learn how to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N, today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Ryan. They say money can't buy happiness. Look at the fucking smile on my face. Ear to ear, baby. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house on the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. The Life Advice email address is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Okay, checking in. 64200. Don't know how many Taliban members I could take one-on-one, uh, but I definitely could take a couple CrossFit guys at a pull-up contest. The pull-up stuff just never ending. I, there's nothing I can do about it. Sorry. I apologize. I had a couple guys sending me uh, Instagram videos of guys doing terrible pull-ups, asking me if I was great to grade their form. And, I mean, all zeros across the board. Just swinging. Like, it's, it's like a kid at the, on the monkey bars at the park. It's ridiculous. Right, but if that's the CrossFit, the kipping thing, then we, we've, we've discussed that's fine. It's just not the same. That's that's the only statement this podcast has made. No one's knocking anything. It's just, it's not the same, and I, I, most people have agreed. So we're not worried about it anymore. So anyway, uh, this past weekend, my wife and I went on a weekend trip to Vegas for the Raiders game. Longtime friend, let's call him David, was there for the game as well. So we met up with David and his wife after the game to grab some food and hit a casino. Uh, David and I grew up together, although we don't live in the same city now. We talk weekly, live in adjacent states, so we do see each other somewhat frequently. You guys live in different states, and you still see each other all the time? That's pretty good. Our wives know each other through us, although not best friends. They get along pretty well. All right, so sounds good. So back to our post-game hangout. I went to the casino with the expectation that it wasn't going to be some unforgettable high-stakes night at the casino floor. No one's ideal gambling scenario involves their wife hanging over their shoulder, and I'd be back at work later that week. Plus, David and I both live... uh, close enough that we can hit up Vegas so it's not like a one-and-done thing. They have family there, so um, this wasn't a huge amount of pressure. I plan to get a few chips on red, play some blackjack, and be in bed by 2 a.m. That's still a pretty good night, though. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. That's uh, that's a Monday night, 2 a.m. But again, casino time, that's like 8.30, so you're right. I get your point. All right, here's where things get awkward. Bold font. David clearly had other plans for how he wanted this night to go, and I don't really have any other explanation for his motives other than he really wanted to piss off his wife. He kept making huge bets that were unlikely to hit, going back to the ATM for more cash and seemed unfazed by his wife's pleading with him to stop. At one point, he was telling me how much he hates his gambling um, after she made a scene at the blackjack table when he lost another chunk of change. He seemed amused by it, despite me trying to not give his annex any oxygen. He was also giving some not-so-subtle commentary on uh, other women, other female casino patrons right in front of his wife. Is this guy wasted? I... It was really weird situation for us to be in. Look, man, I've been in a relationship long enough that there are good days and bad days. Unfortunately, this isn't an isolated incident that I've observed with him doing stuff like this, even if this was an extreme case. My wife and I now find ourselves in a pickle for the four of us because we've been tentatively planning a vacation together this winter. And after feeling how uncomfortable they made us in a three-hour shift in Vegas, we don't really want to go and subject ourselves to being in the middle of their unhealthy relationship for a whole week. What is the move here? Do we just come up with an excuse and fade out of the picture for this group vacation and keep postponing indefinitely till he forgets about it? Or do I shoot straight with him and tell him it kind of sucks being observer, him being a dick to his wife? Uh, If I go with the latter, do I give him advice on how to improve his relationship? Let me know what you think, man. Tough one. Not easy. 
Um, some people would just continue to delay it. They would try the Don Draper route where he keeps telling Pete Campbell and Trudy he will not come to their house uh, in the suburbs. And if you remember that episode, he tries to cancel one last time. And Trudy's like, all right, we'll just reschedule. She's like, you're coming. And I already checked with your wife and you're not doing anything. So this is happening. So she was super determined. And then Don finally just had to give in. So the long, hey, we, we have something going on that weekend. That's going to get exhausting. I know most people would do it because most people aren't as confrontational. It's just a pain in the ass. And if it's still your friend too, like you want to keep lying to your friend about why you can't do something every single time. So in a weird way, I mean, usually I'm pretty much taking on, you know, head on here, but that's, this is absolutely one of those cases. If he's this close of a friend, which clearly he is based on the resume you provided us here, why can't you go into it? Not in an attacking mode, but just say, Hey man, what's up with you and the wife? All right. Do you want to talk to me about it? Um, because if it were the other way around, you would notice things too. And I'm not saying, and you could do it this way too. So maybe his feelings aren't hurt, but again, either he will or won't care. I don't know the guy clearly. You know, if you said to some people like, Hey man, you and your wife fight all the time. I don't want to be around it. Um, I had a terrible, terrible college girlfriend relationship. And my friends were like, everything about you is great except for her. And when it's one of those nights where something's pissing you off or pissing and it just turns into a thing, you suck. You suck to be around. And the thing is, and that was when we did our, Hey, what do we say behind each other's backs? <laughs> and that I do not recommend <laughs> doing that with your friends. Cause there was, there was some serious damage that was done that night. But I, um, I felt like I was like, Oh really? That's the only thing that you guys say about me. Okay. I can handle that. Cause it's accurate. It's accurate. You're what right. Yeah. No, I, I was just like, look, Saruti, I cannot debate this with you. You're right. I think it sucks too. And I, I actually, with some of the other shit other guys are saying about people, I felt like I got off. So I was like, I, I can handle that one. That's not that bad. Although there's probably something else you guys aren't telling me. Um, I, I really, I, I, you know, again, I, I just think people avoid confrontation, Saruti, so much, but I, I would say this, be like, Hey, it's not that I don't want to hang out with you. You know, I want to hang out with you. Okay. But now that we've got the wives situation here, um, like, where are you at right now to like, are you, do you not want to be with her anymore? Cause if you're going to fight the whole time, like you did in Vegas, like we can't do that now. Yes. There's another part of it where he goes and tells her and then she's mad at you and your wife. They're like, Oh, fuck them. And you know what I mean? Like there's very little accountability, uh, I think today. So I don't know if they'll own up to it. But if that's pretty bad. That's a pretty bad scene. If your wife is begging you not to go back to the ATM and you're like, fuck it, <laughs> hit me. Oh, look and look at this this hot girl at the at the blackjack table. Like that's that's a problem. Unless it was just a one off and he was wasted. And, you know, I'm not saying it's an excuse, but there are times you can be like, hey, that's not normal. And it sounds like this is normal. And you're not mentioning at any point that he was just drinking so much that was the catalyst for this kind of night. So I would tell him. And be like, it's not that I don't. So you kind of keep yourself like the, the the line of communication. You don't want to be like attacking. You just want to be straight up. Because I would personally find it exhausting to keep making up lies for why I couldn't do something. Um, and maybe he'll, you know, maybe I don't know if he's going to change or maybe he opens up about the relationship, but at least gives you some kind of like default thing where he maybe stops asking you until he, until he figures out his own shit. So I think... I think everything you said is spot on. And I, I think guys a lot of the time are uncomfortable, obviously, talking with their friends about their feelings and stuff that's going on and problems right in their lives. Like I know I with my group of friends, like we are not the most emotionally competent people. Um, we're trying to get better at it. But 
clearly I think this guy that your friend is he's it's, it's almost like a cry out for help right he's 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 like a toddler kind of making a scene because he wants attention I I almost feel like he maybe he's afraid to ask you or tell you or open up with you so he's kind of making a scene because he wants to talk about what the, the problems in his marriage or the problems in his life and he'll probably I think appreciate you noticing and actually caring enough to mention it. And I think if you ignore it, you're right. Like it's going to be a huge pain in the ass. And here's the thing, you could ignore it. And then if he actually confronts you on it, you can say, hey man, here's the real reason. So you can kind of get out of it that way. But I think you just kind of rip the bandaid off because it kind of feels like this guy is is, is crying out for help, man. So I, I think you should help your friend. Stefan, you got anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I'm not married, so I can't go that far. <laughs> but um, I would... <laughs> hey, it hasn't stopped me for a year, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but um, I will say that, yeah, he should have that conversation with his friend because it's like it could go really bad. Like, say they actually do want to go on a vacation. His friend goes like to the next level and does it somewhere far away from home. It's like, damn, now we're here. It's awkward. The house is silent. Everybody's eating, like not saying anything to each other. It just feels weird. Like, All right, I'm ready to go home. So, yeah, he probably should just take him to the side or just call him one day and say, Hey, what's going on at home? Like clearly something is wrong. You want to talk about it. If he doesn't, then Hey, it is what it is at this point. Yeah. This would be the best way to, to just like, if I said to you, what if you in a year have to tell him, yeah, I've been lying and making excuses because my wife and I don't want to hang out with you and your wife. Like think about that version of this instead of, instead of just now going, Hey, you want to talk a little bit here? Like, Next time we're in town, let's talk. It's not a huge deal. Just want to talk with you. Or you can just do it over the phone and get it over with, whatever. But I personally, if I were on the other end of it and be like, so wait a minute, you just lied for an entire year because of something that I'm doing. I'd be way more pissed than you saying to me. And look, I'm telling you, I think more people would probably go down that road. Like, oh, parents are in town. Oh my God, we got soccer practice. Like soccer practice? You don't even have a kid. And like, no, no, it's my soccer practice. Like, wait, what? And then it's like, how many relatives do you have? Like, wait, you're going to... You're going to the Poconos again? Uh, I just Poconos geographically doesn't match up with the email, but you get the point, right? Yeah, well, that's why they're busy all the time. They keep going to the Poconos. All right, um, this one is uh, this one's a little tougher, but we're gonna do it um, because it's it's serious and it's also something that I had to deal with as well. But I wanted to I wanted to read it. All right, um, former D1 baseball player, five eleven, two hundred, living in the Northeast. I calculate macros. Oh, great. Cool. You weigh your food. Um, anyway, as you may have noted in the subject line, my girlfriend is dealing with a gone guy situation. Terrific movie. Haven't read the book. Kind of want to read the book. Not a huge nonfiction or fiction guy, but you know what? You probably didn't care about that part of the email. So keep it moving. Rosillo. Jesus. Over the past year of knowing one another, we have discussed our paths um, of how we arrived single and divorced in our mid thirties. Not that there is anything wrong with that. Of course. And this time she's mentioned that she had, has a stalker who pops up in the DMs of whomever she is dating at the time. Sweet. Uh, before Amanda, not her real name, knew me, there have been a number of instances where the stalker would send pictures to either her or the guy she is dating or one or both of the residents. Wait a minute, what? The stalker would send pictures to either her or the guy she is dating of one or both of their residences while they were inside. Hmm. All right. Well, that's scary and it sucks. Um, so guys taking pictures, the stalker's taking pictures of the girl and the new boyfriend while they're inside their own houses. The stalker would also send her and her boyfriend's extremely frightening text messages from random numbers, which caused her a great amount of fear. Uh, Amanda, using a fake name again, did not confide in many people about this. Only her close friends who do not live in the area uh, and her on 
an off-again ex-boyfriend. Given that her ex-boyfriend was in close proximity to her, he would always call her, text her, and sometimes go to a residence to console her while she was hysterical. It got so bad to the point where she had to move. She did not tell many people about her new residence in fear that she would be found by the stalker. Uh, yet, lo and behold, the stalker would send pictures of her new residence along with extremely creepy messages. All the while, she was afraid, ashamed, and embarrassed about the situation, never got the police involved. Probably a mistake. Um, that's his term, not mine, the, the police part of this. Um, this would ebb and flow for a while, constantly updating her friends and her ex-boyfriend about every instance. Amanda doesn't have many friends. I've met a few of them over the past year and I've only heard her speak of her close male friends, uh, Frank, who's a police officer, Tom and Jerry, and Jerry's the ex-boyfriend. All right, so Frank, police officer, Tom. And then Jerry, who's the ex-boyfriend. I'm not the jealous type, and she's free to talk to whomever she pleases, and she has stayed close with Jerry about a month or two before Amanda and I started dating. Jerry had invited her to a wedding, and she accepted. However, after she started dating, she told Jerry that it would not be a good idea for her to go to the wedding, and Jerry had a major outburst. Then about two months after that, I received a scathing text message from what seemed to be her stalker. I quickly took a screenshot, sent it to Amanda. Luckily, this time she contacted Frank, the cop. Um, Frank was able to find that the message was sent from a scrambler, so the location wasn't easily traceable. Frank and her then started brainstorming to see how they could catch the individual. She's always been suspicious that it could have been Jerry. But in the back of her mind, she kept thinking, why would one individual who always was there for me do this to me? Especially while I was so fragile and scared. Ever since I received the message, her fear started to come back and she's been heavily weighing. It's been heavily weighing on her, so she decided to go for it. She sent the text to Jerry this past Monday and it read, quote, I think the stalker's back and they sent a terrible message to my boyfriend. I decided to get the cops involved at this point. I'm sick of this BS. They ran the cell number and it was scrambled. Um, so now they're trying to trace the IP address. I showed them the previous message of screenshots and they think they can get whomever it is on multiple accounts of harassment. This is so annoying. You know how much this affects me. And... The dramatic climax leads to this. Not even five minutes after she fired off that text, Jerry called her, admitted to everything, and begged her to not get him arrested. Here's where I need your help. Uh, I've been pushing her to give this guy what he deserves. She's afraid that if this guy Jerry has nothing left, he might be bound to do something incredibly horrific. Uh, what should the appropriate next steps be? Because I feel like this has to be her decision, but at the same time, people like this should not be left off easily. All right. Um, you can probably do better than just me uh, as a guy hosting the podcast uh, for the advice here. This is infuriating. And I think what you said is the most important thing. It has to be her decision. It absolutely has to be her decision because she's the one that's dealing with this fear. I can only tell you from my one experience with it, and we've already talked about this publicly on the podcast a few times. Uh, when I live with Carissa, Thompson, my dear friend in Malibu, and she was gone. And I came home after a very early dinner watching some Warriors hoops. And I walked in and there was this fucking guy standing outside of her house waiting for her, uh, who lied and said that he was invited to stay there. And his story slowly fell apart as I asked every single question. Um, and by the way, this piece of shit listens to this podcast, you fuck. And you also posted my sister's home address and my father's cell phone number to fuck with me on Instagram. So I know who you are. Um, that's all true. But, you know, I can't really do anything about it because, uh, you know, it's not, it's not my fight. Um, so I get it. I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing. It's like, well, if I, if I totally go after this person, does it start it all up again? Um, maybe he's so scared now. I mean, I'm not going to have a great answer for you here now, other than I think your head is in the right place because it's ultimately, you can't go around her back and be like, Hey, actually, this is all, these are all these things I did. And then now she's living. I mean, it just sucks, man. It's a, just a, a reminder, you know, whatever differences we have, male, female, 
um, that was a moment for me, not that I was oblivious to it, but it was a reminder of like, you know, thank God I was here. Um, because if you're a woman and you're especially in my case, you know, a woman that's in the public spotlight, um, you know, you're just dealing with stuff that you don't even think about. Like you don't even, you don't even realize it sometimes as a guy, you just don't. So, I mean, it'd be great if you could talk to him. I don't know if you want to get involved with that. I don't know if you'd be able to restrain yourself. Uh, you know, I don't know the size of this other guy or what his background is. It'd be maybe great if you could have Frank, who is the cop here, handle this in a non-cop way where there's a sit down where Frank, the cop, who's very close to your girlfriend, goes to Jerry and just says, hey, man, here's the deal. Like, we've got you dead to rights. How do you want to handle this? And hope that's enough to scare this guy. I, I think the good news in this is that once she called him and then he admitted to everything you hope that's the wake up call right you hope that's the wake up call i none of us can guarantee that you don't know um part of me just wishes like yeah you wish you could go after all these people and that would be the handle, the best way to handle it. But I, there's always kind of that fear. If you're willing to go this far, like this guy has been for years, or in my case, some guy that showed up to someone's house, and you know, we had the video evidence of him checking under plants and doormats and trying windows. It was all in the security cam before I even showed up to the house, which was horrifying to watch the next day. Um, you know, there's 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 fear there. So, um. At least you know who it is now. I think the cop, I, you know, as I'm talking this out, I think maybe the best thing would be to, to ask the cop if all of you guys are that close and he cares about your, your girlfriend enough. And you're like, hey, is there any way you can just kind of talk to this guy and, and try to get where his head's at? But I mean, there's no guarantee with any of that stuff. So I don't think there's a perfect answer, but I think everything you've said here is the foundation of having like the right, you have, you have enough common sense, like your heart's in the right place. I think everything you've done to this point is is spot on. I wish there was a great way to, to solve this without it, you know, I mean, look, we could just all go meathead and be like, Oh, just kick his ass. But you know, you don't know, you don't know what that's going to do. You know, you don't, I mean, maybe you get in trouble, you know, maybe it motivates the other person to want to fight back even more. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't know the solution here, but if he's this scared that he admitted everything, once your girlfriend started talking about getting the police involved and that they'd be able to track this guy down, I'm hoping, and again, maybe that's false hope, but, hoping that that would be enough to kind of shake him out of this pattern of being um, a guy that's messing with people's lives. And what these stalkers don't realize is like, well, again, sometimes there's some mental health stuff with it too, which is not absolving the blame. But you, know, you, you can absolutely ruin people's lives with your obsession with other people. And you know, I don't know that, I don't know if people can understand what that's like, especially to be a female, to live in that kind of fear because of these kinds of incidents and I saw it firsthand. I don't know if there's really much to add to that. So if you guys want to lay out on that one, um, no problem. No, I think you summed it up. Well, I think it just, I think the overarching theme is, you know, it sucks that women have to go through this. And, you know, I, I think your answer about, you know, getting the cop involved probably makes the most sense. And maybe that scares this guy, Jerry, into just going away. But, you know, the the other end of that spectrum is that it kind of sets him off, too. So there's really no right answer. But whatever you do, she has to be comfortable with it. That's the most important part. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, um, 
All right. That's that's the end of the podcast. This was a good one. So we'll be back on Friday with Danny Cannell and we'll do some football stuff as well. Maybe a little NBA facts with this John Wall deal, which we did not get to today because um, I'm not sure what the hell's going to happen. <laughs> I, I always leave out like a little bit of percent of hope of a deal that nobody could see coming happening, but um, $91.7 million left on that deal. That's going to be a tough one to move. Another untradeable contract that's about to be traded, though, Ryan. I feel like we there are no untradeable contracts. There really aren't. There really aren't. But this one smells a little bit more like a buyout. But uh, again, I don't. I don't have a ton of intel on this right now. So, hey, thanks to Stefan and uh, stepping up for Kyle. Kyle will be back on Friday and Suri. Please subscribe. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.